two readings today. We're going to start off with John, chapter 15, verses 1 to 8, the vine and the branches. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Next we have Isaiah 35, Joy of the Redeemed. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the hordes where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is the word of the Lord. And welcome back to uh, our September Vision series. At this time of year, the schools start back, the traffic gets worse. Um, boy, has it got worse. And the weather starts to turn, um, I say, um, or not, as the case may be. Yesterday was glorious, wasn't it? Um, and we spend a few weeks reminding ourselves of what we're all about as the church. Um, our vision, if you are new to all souls, is built around becoming disciples. The best modern equivalent of that word is apprentices of Jesus. That's his clear strategy for the world, um, that his first disciples would make more disciples who would make more disciples, and so on down to us. And uh, in this way, the good news of salvation uh, through Jesus' death and resurrection, the promised renewal of all things, aka the kingdom of God or heaven, would spread to the ends of the earth. The gospel would spread to the ends of the earth. And looking in more detail, we see that the life of a disciple is organized around three main goals. First, to be with Jesus. We looked at that last week. Second, to become like Jesus. Jesus, that's the focus for today, and third, to learn to do what he did or uh, what he would do if he were living your life today. We'll come to that next week. 
There's nothing revolutionary or new about this vision. I honestly believe that it is the most straightforward reading of what Jesus said about his disciples um, and those who would come after them. And last September, we looked at how Jesus explained that um, in this illustration of the vine and the branches from John 15. That's why we're hearing that again today. It's kind of a core text for us, really. And in fact, Mike did an excellent um, revision um, a session a couple of Sundays back, if you will. And do go back and listen to that if you missed it. Um, you can find all our, uh, our talks on our podcast. So just uh, search on Apple Podcasts, I think, or SoundCloud Cloud are the two options you've got there. I'm not sure we're on Google at the moment, but we will at some point. Um, this vision, this teaching is passed down to us. Uh, you know, sharing it with you, I sort of stand on the shoulders of giants of the faith, um, ancient and modern, who themselves were standing on the rock himself, Jesus Christ. He is the only foundation for all this. He is the reason for all this. And this year we're taking this passage from Isaiah, an Old Testament prophet of Israel who lived around 700 years before Jesus to restate that vision. And I said last week there was a bit of a story to how I settled on this passage for this vision series. And I said I'd share that story this week. Uh, well, I lied because there isn't time this morning either. Um, so you just have to come back for part three next Sunday and I will probably tell you the story. It's worth waiting for, um, I promise. Before we get back into Isaiah 35, I just want to revisit some of the teaching from last September, you know, just in case you've forgotten it over the last 365 days. But like I said last week, I hope that some of this is really starting to sound familiar now, if not a little bit, you know, I've heard this all before, because it's our vision. It should be in everything that we do. So this time last year, we were on the eve of the funeral of the longest reigning, arguably the most beloved, most widely respected monarch that this country has ever known. So as we looked then at becoming like Jesus, it seemed fitting to use her words on the subject. Uh, this is what she said, For me, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability before God provide a framework in which I try to live my life. There are the words of a true apprentice of Jesus Christ. Now, in Jesus' own words, we see that the goal for a disciple is not simply for us to learn about him. Rather, it's to become like him. Uh, Luke 6, verse 40, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their rabbi, their teacher. This is a process we call formation. And we saw that um, formation is not optional. Um, forces are constantly acting upon us to form who we are um, in, in one way or another. The question is not, are you a disciple or not? It's whose disciple are you? We are all a disciple of someone or something or some combination of circumstances or influences. Uh, Jess and I recently became um, first-time secondary school parents, um, entering this brave new phase of life. Um, of course, it's not really us being brave. It's Nathan, our eldest, um, who I have to say, and he'd, he'd kill me for saying this. I think he's left the room, which is probably a good thing. Um, oh, no, he's right there. He'll kill me for saying this. But we, I am, we are enormously proud of how he has faced up to this big challenge. It's a big challenge, this whole new season. He's done amazing. 
Um, moments like this, beginnings of new schools or school years, they, they kind of highlight the process of formation, of progress and growth. You know, we suddenly look at it and think, wow, this is, he is not who he was a year ago. Like, he's, he's developed, he's grown, he's become more confident in all sorts of great ways. But this isn't just about kids and young people. Formation is a, a constant from cradle to grave, we are all becoming someone. Um, some people live in denial of this, um, consider that, you know, formation is complete once they're 18 or 21 or 35 or 65, whatever. Pick an age. You know, I used to think a little bit like that. I, I remember looking ahead thinking, oh, by the time I'm 20, that'll be, that'll be me. That'll be who I am for the rest of my life. Um, yeah, thank goodness that's not true. <laughs> Others go through these moments of radical sudden change um, at some point in their lives. I, I worked with a guy once and he had a heart scare and overnight he just gave up coffee and coffee was like the biggest thing in his life. Um, sorry, that's a bit unfair. Um, yeah, he's a very, very well-rounded guy. Um, and, and he started running very, very, very long distances. Um, that doesn't quite capture it all, but he changed profoundly in that moment. He had this moment and it changed him profoundly. But formation, more often than not, is a, is, is a constant and a gradual process. It's the, um, the frog in the pot of hot water, if you know that illustration. Um, gradual process. It's unconscious. And the forces, um, we could be unconscious of the, the kind of the forces that are acting upon us that change us and form us. Being and becoming a disciple of Jesus has ebbs and flows to it but it's never about reaching a point and saying this is it i'm all done now um at least not this side of the resurrection you know the christian life doesn't end with forgiveness at the cross you know that, that's a, that's a key moment in our walk where we come to the cross and we receive forgiveness and we acknowledge ourselves before jesus and our need of him that's but that's where it begins that's where discipleship starts but neither is it a process for the most part about sudden radical changes. There's an element of that. That's what repentance and the Holy Spirit can do. But largely it's this constant and consistent journey of becoming like Jesus, what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. And then just to uh, wrap up this revision session um, from last year, we had these four elements of formation. These are um, John Mark Comer. Um, this is his sort of take on this. First is the story that we believe. These are things that form us. The story we believe, the narrative we carry about our lives and their meaning. Second, our habits, the things that we do, our practices, whether they're chosen or unchosen. Third, our relationships. We become more like the people that we hang out with, values-wise at least. There's research that shows that. Finally, there's the environment that we're in, our kind of our context, our social context, the media, uh, the, the, the context of our society, I should say, the media, the law, culture. So all that said, let's, let's come again to Isaiah chapter 35. And, and last week we talked about how Jesus told his disciples that all the Old Testament scriptures are about him. It's all one story leading to Jesus as the um, strapline from the Bible Project puts it. Go and check out the Bible Project on YouTube if you've not yet. They're brilliant. And we saw how Isaiah was written kind of both before and after the exile in Babylon, the greatest catastrophe God's people had faced since he brought them into the, the land, the land of Israel. 
The exile was God's judgment on them for rejecting him and becoming more evil even than the surrounding nations, child sacrifice, etc. We talked about that last week. But Isaiah, like all the Old Testament prophets, speaks not just of God's judgment, but also hope. These twin themes kind of color everything. First part of Isaiah focused mostly on the judgment, the threat of coming exile. Second part is more focused on the hope, God bringing his people back and restoring them. And Isaiah 35, this reading, um, sits right on the cusp, really, between those two halves, the before and the after, the judgment and the hope. It's this beautiful, it's been described as an exodus poem, um, which uh, Alan read so beautifully, written before the exile, it seems, about how God will bring his people back out once again, like the Exodus story, guide them through the wilderness. Last week, we looked at verses 1 to 4, talked about God's presence bringing flourishing to the wilderness his people find themselves in as they leave captivity and they make this long journey home. Uh, Like water to the parched land is God's presence with his people. And uh, water is this theme throughout the Bible, representative of God's presence and his blessing. Jesus described himself as giving living water. Spiritual life starts with, comes from being with him. He's the life to our parched and dry souls. And we talked about some of the things that we can do to um, you know, abide in him, to foster his presence in our lives. Today we're skipping ahead to look at verses 8 to 10, the journey through the wilderness. Uh, Verse 8, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The word highway here, um, commentators say, means means literally uh, that, a raised road in the wilderness. Um, As uh, we drove home from our holiday in France this summer, we went over this spectacular flyover Um, And from it, you could just look out over the wide landscape all the way to the sea. And, you know, a raised road also lasts better. It's a a better road. We learned this in Uganda. And it will be called the way of holiness. And we'll come back to what we mean by holiness in a bit. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those that the Lord has rescued will return. The idea is of a safe route, protected from all potential threats or hazards on this journey through a difficult terrain. Notice this, this is really important. It's those that the Lord has redeemed, rescued, paid the price for, who will walk on this road. Not the other way around. Isaiah is not saying those who walk on this road will be redeemed. The redeeming comes first. Walking on the way is what follows. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Doesn't that sound good? So the progression, okay, just to go over this again, is first, God redeems his people, brings them out of exile. Second, they walk through this wilderness, this threatening, difficult environment, but on the way, on a special way, this way of holiness. Third, by following this way, 
they reached their destination overtaken with gladness and joy. So let's talk a little bit about holiness. Now, I did a Google search about holiness, and this is what you get. Um, a lot of pictures of clouds and occasionally a dove. Um, and <laughs> clouds and doves are all good <laughs> in their own way, but I don't think they are a very good picture of what the Bible means about holiness. To be holy means to be set apart, distinctive, in a good way. Um, but in the midst of everything else. The simplest definition of holiness that I can come up with is like Jesus, like God. God is, um, in, in Revelation, he's described as holy, holy, holy. That's the chant on the terraces in heaven. Um, Hebrew repeats words for emphasis rather than adding very or uh, extremely. So holy is holy, holy, holy is very holy, and holy, holy, holy is really, really, really. You get the idea. And while, yes, there are a couple of stories about Jesus and clouds, for the most part, Jesus was incredibly down-to-earth, mixing with all kinds of people, from the reputable to the lowest of the low. He was down on the ground washing his disciples' feet. So holiness is something that belongs in and is expressed in the everyday places in our lives, not just those kind of mountaintop moments, if you like. Now, for some of you, the idea of being holy or trying to live life like Jesus. You're already on board with that. You're fully signed up. That's your goal in life. But I want to speak for a moment to those who maybe have questions about the merits of doing life in the way of Jesus. You know, the idea of living your life according to somebody else's values and priorities is a countercultural idea. Um, that's because we place huge value on personal freedom. And holiness kind of sounds, perhaps is, in some respects, contrary to that. It's someone else choosing what is best for you. Now, freedom is a good thing. It's a great thing. Um, you know, just ask those living in North Korea, in Russia, in Iran. But sociologists say that freedom is just one of three things that we need to survive and thrive. The other two are community and meaning. Now, in the West, we've maxed out on that freedom, but at the expense of the other two. So we have a whole lot of individual freedom. It's our, kind of our cultural idol, if you like. Just be true to yourself. You know, you do you. But not a whole lot of meaning and community. Other parts of the world, they do better on community and not so well on meaning. Other places in the world, there's a huge emphasis on meaning, but not much in the way of freedom. Secular Darwinism, essentially our environment, says that we are little more than amoebas. There's not much meaning in that. You know, one person said, why, why bother getting out of bed in the morning if that's all we are? The way of Jesus offers all three of those things in balance. And ultimately we know that community is only possible when individual freedom is restricted in some way, whether that's forced or voluntary. Just, just look at marriage. Good marriage is full of compromises on personal freedom. All relationships are really, all friendships. But without those limitations on freedom, community can't exist. We end up entirely personal and individual and alone. But to think of holiness, the way of Jesus, as a threat to our freedom is to kind of miss the point. We 
talk about freedom from things, freedom from tyranny, freedom from social distancing restrictions, which we had a lot of. But we can also talk about freedom for something. An alcoholic is free to drink. But if they drink, they are not free to be sober. The image of uh, Isaiah is of of this highway through the wilderness. Um, We traveled some pretty bad roads while living in Uganda. Um, One particular memory was one dark night driving back. I realized as I wrote this, a lot of our stories from Uganda start with we were driving home one dark night. (laughs) It's funny that. Suddenly, our road on this kind of marshland, this last bit of the, the, the road to take us kind of from from the main dirt road to the end of the, the track, our village. It just suddenly disappeared. We just halfway across it. Um, a, a neighbor had just plowed it up as part of a land dispute. So we just cut right across it. And we were just stranded. Um, I think it was about 11 o'clock at night, trying to drive across this marsh, um, getting out occasionally in my sandals, trying not to think about the snakes, to work out where to go next. To think of driving on a road as a restriction to your freedom, and yes, picture a Land Rover commercial, I get it, but for the most part, that limitation of a road is a good road, is a blessing. It's a really helpful thing. The highway of holiness that Isaiah spoke of was a safe route in a challenging environment. And the way of Jesus is the same, I think. I love that in the Sermon on the Mount, um, you know, this great body of Jesus' teaching, we're going to be looking at it next year. Jesus makes this assumption in that teaching that we will mess up, that we will go off track, that we will both sin and be sinned against. The Lord's Prayer, which we said together, says that. Jesus taught that. He taught knowing that we will mess up. But as disciples of Jesus, we live as those who trust that true freedom, freedom from and freedom for comes through walking in the way of holiness, like living like Jesus. So this is what we aim to do. And if we walk in this way, the the way of Jesus, then this is what forms us. This is what shapes our character. Character is what we get through the process of formation. Um, You know, our culture is more interested in image and personality. Jesus is interested in character. And you know, ultimately, so are we. When was the last time you went to a funeral and the eulogy was all about somebody's, you know, Myers-Briggs type or Enneagram number or whatever, or the number of Instagram followers they had? That's image and personality. No, ultimately, we remember who people are, who they were, who they became. And that's character. Character. Um, Formation is this process of character development, intentional or unconscious. And yes, the way of holiness, the way of Jesus at times may sound restrictive. In fact, you know, it leads to a cross, the ultimate sacrifice of personal freedom. But Isaiah 35 describes holiness as a pathway to joy and gladness, where sorrow and sighing will flee away. That's what life walking on this road looks like ultimately. And I say ultimately just to keep it real, because, you know, maybe like me, you are seeking to walk on that road and you are not yet feeling crowned with everlasting joy and gladness all the time, or even, you know, half the time, if you're honest. You know, a lot of the time I am stressed and anxious and unsure and insecure and troubled and grumpy 
Um, just asked Nathan, who was trying to do his homework yesterday afternoon while I was trying to write this sermon. Sorry, mate, you didn't deserve that. <laughs> I'm really sorry, genuinely. And it would be easy to say, you know, in the do what works for you culture, following Jesus doesn't seem to be bearing the fruit that, that I'd hoped for. In fact, sometimes it always seems to make me feel more grumpy, you know, when I'm trying really hard and it's not happening. But here's the thing. Those bad feelings or attitudes are not really the areas of my life where I am yet fully living like Jesus or for Jesus. So when I'm, you know, when I'm being generous, when I'm feeling, when I'm being loving, you know, all the fruit of the spirit, when I'm living, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, when I'm living according to that, funny, I don't tend to feel stressed, anxious, and insecure. I know who I'm meant to be. I struggle plenty, but my struggles are not generally the result of when I am living like Jesus. And, and rem again, remember, I can't stress this enough. I can't keep stressing this enough. This is not about pleasing God. This is not about salvation. We do not earn his favor or forgiveness or our right standing with God by living like Jesus. We choose to live like Jesus because he has saved us. He has done what we ourselves could not do. Remember, it's the redeemed who walk on the way of holiness. They are not redeemed by walking on it. It's ultimately a question of who we want to become. It's a question we should all ask ourselves. It's very easy in the busyness of life to just slip through it. Becoming someone, unchosen, unconsciously. Whose likeness do you really want to be formed into? couple of things to finish with. I realize this is all quite um, theoretical this morning, if that makes sense. So I'm, I'm sorry there's, there's not that much in the way of application. This vision series is going to be a little bit like that. We're sort of just restating the kind of the bedrock for, for a lot of the rest of the, the year, the teaching for the, a lot of the rest of the, of the year. Coming towards the end now. Um, first, the, again, these again, the, 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 the kind of four factors of what forms us, according to John Mark Comer. In fact, I should really probably take a moment to uh, credit some of the key influences on this teaching. He is definitely one of them. Um, Ruth Haley Barton is another. I don't know what it is about people with three names. Um, uh, Dallas Willard, Wesley, Cal Calvin, Luther, Augustine, Paul, Peter, you know, all roads lead back to Jesus. All the good roads, anyway. But this is how he says the disciple of Jesus counters these four formational forces. The story we believe, okay? So the story that the world makes us believe about who we are and meaning. Um, the antidote to that is, is teaching. This is how we change our minds. We get into the Bible and we let uh, God's word change us. Um, our habits, um, we, we talk about like chosen intentional practices. We, we talked about these in the spring. Uh, don't worry, we will again. Because changing our minds doesn't always change what we do. We know that, don't we? We can think one thing and do another quite easily. Habit eats willpower for breakfast, as John Ortberg said. Practices change us. Third, our relationships. Um, this is why we talk about community, God's people, the church. It's why we'd love everybody to be involved in some sort of intentionally formational relationship at All Souls. A connect group, um, a prayer triplet, something like that. Um, Ritesh outlined some of those that are on the, um, uh, the term card at the moment. We, we've got a lot of um, small groups. We're hoping to start some more this term. Alpha is a kind of a small group as well. And then finally, our environments. 
the environment we're in. The Holy Spirit is the environment for the disciple of Jesus in our daily lives. This is why we pray that ancient prayer so often. Come Holy Spirit, you know, individually, as a church, when we gather. It's my most common prayer over my children at night. Come Holy Spirit. Come shape our perception of the world. And I'll finish by saying that, you know, as I, as I have done before, that my job results in me seeing many people towards the end of their lives or meeting relatives of people who have died. Um, and from all I've seen, I can only say that the people who have that joy and gladness overtaking them despite the circumstances are nearly always the people who have spent their lives seeking to live like Jesus. I mean, I guess I should say seeking to live like Jesus in full knowledge of his forgiveness and redemption of them, not trying to please him. Yes, they suffer. Yes, age takes its toll. But there is a light and a hope and a true sense of identity that um, I don't think anything else matches. So whose disciple are you? Whose disciple do you want to be? Who are you becoming? Following Jesus won't make you rich, it won't make you comfortable. It won't stop you having a dodgy back or a dodgy knee or even dementia. Sometimes it may. That's why we pray for healing. But it will form you day by day into the person he made you to be. And we have this mark, this celebration given to the church by Jesus as a symbol for those who choose to follow Jesus in their lives. It's called baptism. And we'll be holding a special service at 10 a.m. On, on Sunday, the 15th of October. It's in the flyer, giving people the opportunity to be baptized. To say you want to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. Or if you were baptized as a baby, you can reaffirm your baptism vows by full immersion. So if somebody else made those vows for you on your behalf as a child, like they did for me, if you've never had the chance to make those vows for yourself, you can come and reaffirm your baptism by full immersion. So um, do take a look at that. It's a way of saying, your way, Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm dying to myself. I want to live for you now.